This is Bob Cudmore. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the first book that I wrote, You Can't Go Wrong, Stories from Nero, New York, and Other Tales. The thing to keep in mind is I'll be popping in from time to time, maybe to update things, because this book dates back to the year 2000. That's when it was written. It was based on newspaper columns I was doing at the time. Wrong stories from Nero, New York, and other tales by Bob Cudmore. To Mary, for her constant love and endless enthusiasm. An upstate upbringing to Clarence, Julia, Arlene, and Vera Cudmore. We shouldn't take our memories for granted. When my father was in a nursing home, he and I had many conversations about his old job as a carpet weaver. He'd worked at the Mohawk Mills in Amsterdam, New York, from the 1930s until they closed his part of the mill in the 1970s. That was a long time ago, he said, maybe six months. I told him, Dad, they closed the mill 20 years ago. We went on to talk about other things. If we didn't discuss the mill, we usually talked about his boyhood home or something he wanted that moment, a soft cookie perhaps, a trip to the bathroom, a shave. A few minutes later, Father spoke up. If what you say is true, that they closed the mill 20 years ago, What did I do for those 20 years? I told him how he cared for his wife, his house, and his grandchildren. Do you remember I said you used to throw balsa airplanes on the garage roof with Robbie and you taught Kathleen arithmetic? We laid the carpet in Gladys and Vera's apartment and we go on vacations together. I don't know if he understood or remembered. Father was a mixture of poetry, agitation, and zest for life in his last few months. Shortly before he passed away, he told his nurse, My heart is hurting, and I want to die. He also told my sister, bring me my hat, I want to die. As a man of his generation, he loved to wear a hat, a cap to work, a fedora to church. His generation came of age in the Roaring Twenties, Great Depression, and World War II. Born in Torrington, England in 1909, Father came to America with my grandmother, aunts and uncles in 1912 in the steerage section of the Cunard Liner Majestic. Grandfather had crossed over in 1909, offered work as a silk weaver at Founds Glove Mill in Amsterdam, operated by fellow British immigrants. One family story is that Grandmother, who didn't want to go to America, delayed her family's departure several times, in the process saving their skins by failing to confirm tickets for the ill-fated Titanic. Settling on Eagle Street in Amsterdam's teeming East End, Our family became part of an ethnic mosaic that Kirk Douglas, Eagle Street's most famous resident, has called a United Nations of Last Names. Dembski, Carbonelli, Rimkunis, Fratangelo, Shuttlebauer, Allen, and Cudmore. Amsterdam's working life then revolved around the mills, and social life revolved around taverns and houses of worship. My grandfather frequented the taverns. My parents met at church. My mother, Julia Cook Cudmore, was born west of Amsterdam in rural Randall, where her father managed the country store. He died when mother was three, and my grandmother held on in Randall during the Great War, feeding soldiers who guarded the town's Erie Canal lock against saboteurs. Young Julia was a great favorite of the soldiers, who called her the Queen of Randall. It may be she was never quite so happy ever again. When the war ended, Grandma Cook moved her family to Amsterdam's East End, where she ran a boarding house on Forbes Street. 
Though Grandma Cook was a straight-laced and God-fearing woman, her feeding and sometimes housing unmarried men did not go unnoticed. My mother met my father when he ushered at the former East Main Street Methodist Episcopal Church. They were married there in 1934 by a minister named Reverend Love. Father was 25, mother was 21. Good-looking, humorous, hard-working, musical, and temperamental, my parents were married for 60 years, a testament to the triumph of common sense over aspiration. Both worked in the mills. Mother was a sewing teacher for a while. Their lives were routine. Father would have loved to sing for a living, and Mother was frustrated by her underused intelligence and what she saw in her bitter moods as her diminished lot in life. At the end of most days, however, both realized their life together was a fairly comfortable one that neither was willing to abandon. My fondest memories are of overhearing their nightly in-bed conversations, gossiping about friends and relatives like two teenagers. My sister Arlene arrived in 1935, and I was born in 1945, making Arlene at first another mother to me. Arlene's greatest attribute was her ability to lavish affection on the people she loved. Arlene was also the first member of our family to break out of the Milltown mold. Over mother's objections, Arlene went to college and used the family musical gift to forge a career as a music teacher. The family I came with is gone now, father, mother, and sister, dying at approximate two-year intervals starting in 1994. Clarence, Julia, and Arlene have all contributed to the stories in this book. Arlene lived to see many of them published, and she and I spent many a joyful moment recalling the cadence of Milltown speech, expressions we used frequently. You can't go wrong. I don't blame you. It never fails. My surviving link with the past is Vera Cudmore, father's youngest sister, the first of our tribe born in America. A colorful character, Vera has been known to sign her greeting cards as the old bat. When you ask her how she is, her response is always rotten. We meet most every Saturday in Amsterdam, gossiping and caring for each other, as my parents did years ago. Bob Cudmore again, uh, updating things on uh, the podcast of my original book, You Can't Go Wrong, Stories from Nero, New York, and Other Tales. In connection with the story you uh, just heard, uh, my uh, wife Mary died in the year 2001. I dedicated the book to her. And as I indicated in that first piece, uh, my parents and my sister passed away. But by now, so has my Aunt Vera Cudmore. In fact, the new book I have uh, coming out this year called Lost Mohawk Valley is dedicated to Vera's memory. Guide to Nero, New York, the former sock-making capital of the world. No one in Nero believes that anything good will ever happen again. Today, a declining upstate New York mill town, even Nero's beginnings were not auspicious. When the community was founded by British textile interests in the 19th century, the good classical names, Utica, Attica, Troy, Syracuse, had already been claimed by other upstate cities. Some people thought the name Nero had a good ancient ring to it, and noted that Nero rhymes with hero. Nero also rhymes with zero, and zero Nero has become a common taunt aimed at the Nero high school basketball team when the fiddlers run onto the court. Nobody researched history when Nero was named, and the connection with the infamous Emperor Nero, who fiddled while Rome burned, wasn't discovered until the city's 10th anniversary. By then, the name Nero was lettered on the signs into town and had been carved in stone in a few public buildings. Residents decided to keep the name. Sock-making was Nero's principal industry, and for many years, Nero was known as Sock City, 
and the sock-making capital of the world. In the 1960s, the sock mills abandoned Nero for cheaper labor down south and ultimately offshore. Nero has never recovered. Here are some names to know in Nero. Joe Cassidy, WNRO radio morning host. Please, not in my lifetime, is Joe Cassidy's signature put-down to callers with silly ideas, such as the woman who suggested Nero should change its name to Sock City to capitalize on its industrial past. When Joe encouraged listener calls suggesting new names for Nero, one caller proposed government check, given Nero's large percentage of people on Social Security and welfare, not to mention those working for the government. Disease Cotter. Disease is a retired mill worker. He was a sickly child and given his lifelong nickname by heartless playmates. A regular at the Four Clover Inn and Joe's Kitchen, Disease is a member of the Sons of St. Adelbardio. He occupies his time bowling, card playing, and observing life in Nero. The Four Clover Inn. Located in the basement of a building on a steep hill, the Four Clover is known affectionately as the Knee Pad Inn. Tipsy patrons crawl out on their knees to keep from sliding down the hill when they hit the street. The serious drinkers gather Saturday morning at the Four Clover for shots and beers. Carla Gonzalez. Carla is a single mother, formerly on welfare, who now works three jobs to make ends meet. She opens the dry cleaners of the Nero Downtown Mall, styles hair at the Clever Cut Salon, and does part-time deliveries for UPS. Joe's Kitchen. Nero's most popular greasy spoon. Joe's Kitchen offers a can't-go-wrong daily special, including coffee and soft dessert, for $2.99. Keep the Munda Creek. The Keep the Munda Creek provided water power for Nero's early mills. During the industrial heyday, the creek was dirty and smelly, sometimes running red or dark blue, depending on the dyes being used in the sock mills. Now that the mills have closed, the creek is cleaner. The creek's name derives from a Native American language and may mean place of waters that flow or oppress the people. Keep the Mundaville. The most prosperous section of the town of Keep the Munda, located outside Nero, Keep the Mundaville has advanced in population, business development, and resident income as Nero has declined. The suburbanites pay a premium for flavored coffee and other necessaries at the old village plaza, where none of the shops accepts food stamps. Lou Larowell. Lou did well in the hardware business in Nero, joined the country club, recently sold his business to a national chain. He ran afoul of Nero negativity when he tried to use some of his wealth to start a winter carnival. His motives were questioned by politicians and talk host Mike Van Wilson, who said, Lou Larowell is a fat cat who just doesn't get it. Don Lissock. Don Lissock writes a column for the local paper, the Nero Nation. He recently encouraged Nero to become a center for group homes for the mildly retarded in light of opposition to such a group home in Glenville. Don's idea, which may have been satirical, was cautiously welcomed by one politician, ignored by suburbanites, and viewed with skepticism by the Retarded Citizens Organization. Marty the Bull. A retired union leader in the Nero sock mills, Marty the Bull was a fearsome character in his day, known for taking care of his own. He now lives in Keep the Mundaville, where his children have enjoyed many advantages. Marty's suburban neighbors keep him at arm's length. Nero Aerodrome. A small airport with a bumpy runway outside Nero, like the Albany International Airport, the Nero Aerodrome has very few international flights. Sons of St. Adelbardio, an ethnic men's club, 
The Suns offer cheap food and drink to members and guests, card playing on weekend nights, a bowling team, an annual clam bake, and a Christmas party. At the Christmas party, the waitresses wear blinking light corsages that play holiday tunes. Wanda Tamburino. Wanda is the office manager and constituent problem fixer for Nero's popular congressman. Time spent trying to solve problems has given her a definite perspective on human nature. With all the people I've helped, she said, you would think I'd have it made if I went into business around here, but I wouldn't count on it. Nero people might pull a drowning woman from the creek, but she'd be on her own when she got to the shore. Hayden Waldorf. Hayden Waldorf's family prospered in the stationery business when times were good in Nero. He was candid in the 1970s when Nero's downtown was gutted for an urban renewal project, saying, Nobody knows if this is going to work, but we have to do something, and there's government money available. The 1970s renewal of Nero was fraught with poor ideas. An unpopular sock museum, a downtown hotel with a leaky roof, and a parking garage prone to flooding. Mike Van Wilson. Mike is the conservative host of the never-ending argument talk show on WNRO radio and self-proclaimed leader of the local battalion of outraged, grumpy old men. Mike hates Bill Clinton, the first prevaricator, welfare cheats, and new immigrants and politicians who just don't get it. William and Edgar Yarnworth. The Yarnworth brothers came from England to found the sock mills, which defined the economic life of Nero for the first two-thirds of the 20th century. The Yarnworths and their offspring are buried on Cemetery Hill in two clusters of graves that reinforce the hierarchy of Nero's first family. It is as if an eternal board meeting has been called, and William and Edgar, as usual, are at the head of the table. Stories from Nero. Acknowledgements. This audiobook was recorded and engineered by Bob Noble. John Shalino contributed the song, My Old Town, and also performs the musical interludes. The announcer is Diane Ward. The first Nero stories appeared from 1993 through 1995 as columns in the Troy Record, whose editors included Rex Smith, Lisa Robert Lewis, and Charles De La Fuente. In 1996, Nero found a home at Brad Broyles' courageous Amsterdam paper, The Star. In 1997, Nero tales were printed in Tony Benjamin and Teresa Kuda's formidable Amsterdam paper, The Free Press of the Mohawk Valley. Neither the Star nor the Free Press exist today. I hope Nero had nothing to do with that. Since 1996, Nero's stories have appeared in the opinion section of the Sunday Gazette in Schenectady, edited by Art Clayman. Several radio-related Nero tales have been reprinted in the national talk radio magazine, Talkers, which is edited by Michael Harrison. I'm grateful to the editors who have printed the news of Nero, and particularly indebted to the Gazette's Art Clayman who has given Nero its widest audience and whose suggestions have made the stories easier to read. Special thanks also go to Ruth Peterson of Alplos, Arjan Jablonski of Hegeman, and Louis Carousella of Rotterdam Junction for permission to use their articles, which responded to two Nero stories. This is Bob Cudmore once again. Hope you enjoyed the first episode of the podcast of my book, You Can't Go Wrong, and I hope you'll tune in for episode two.